Hello, welcome to this BMJ podcast about well-being. In this episode, we're talking about personal protective equipment, or PPE. I'm Abby Rimmer, careers editor at the BMJ, and I have a special interest in doctors' well-being. And I'm Kat Chatfield, a trained GP with an interest in quality and patient care. Now, we've heard a lot about PPE lately in the news, with clinicians globally reporting a lack of availability of appropriate PPE. So today we'll be talking to a clinician from Canada about her experience and hear her advice on the safe use of PPE. In the UK, doctors have been telling us that they don't feel safe, while organisations and health systems are scrabbling to secure supply chains. I think this is a really important topic for us to talk about in a well-being context, because I think a lot of doctors, especially in the UK, are feeling very anxious about the perceived or real, very real lack of PPE that they're facing. Yes, we were discussing earlier, is PPE a well-being issue? Um, I think maybe it's a bit tangential from what we normally would focus on. Um, But certainly I think it is very um, prominent in the minds of a lot of clinicians. I think a lot of people are um, either experiencing a lack of PPE, which is causing them huge anxiety about their safety when they go to work, um, and also their safety in terms of their families. You know, if they're going to work, what are they bringing home from the wars? How are they putting um, elderly relatives or um, relatives with health conditions like asthma at risk? You know, and also I think worrying about even if they do have adequate PPE, what happens when it runs out? Will the next delivery arrive? You know, is the supply going to keep keep on coming or is it going to dry up? Um, and we've certainly heard, particularly in, in primary care, um, of PPE being delivered, which people are perceiving as inadequate to their needs. So it's a huge concern. And I think in that in that respect, it is affecting well-being. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be really interesting to hear from this clinician from outside of the UK on how they're dealing with these issues and also what tips she has for UK doctors. Definitely. I think there's certainly been some interest in not just um, making sure that we lobby to get PPE appropriately for staff and the BMJ have launched its new campaign, Proper PPE, but also when we have got that equipment, how do we use it wisely? How do we use it appropriately um, and and reduce the risk even of PPE itself for staff. Absolutely. And it might just be worth reiterating on our BMJ campaign that if you do have stories of um, a lack of PPE or, or sort of innovative ways that you've had to make up for not having the right PPE, please do share them with us on social media. You can use the hashtag proper PPE. Thanks, Abby. And you mentioned innovations. I mean, I've certainly seen lots of videos um, going around the GP community of how to make your own uh, PPE, how to make your own face mask. Um, I've had people reaching out to me on Facebook saying, do you know how to sew? Can you sew uh, surgical masks? So there's a, a lot of interest out there in, I guess, making up for a perceived lack of support from the government um, and a lack of trust that people are going to have the equipment they need. I've heard lots of schools um, passing on science equipment to local hospitals. Um, surely we've got to be doing a bit better than that in terms of protecting our healthcare workers who are going to be critical or who are already critical in responding to coronavirus. Absolutely. I think probably at the core of this is something that we've talked a lot, a lot about previously on when we speak about doctors' wellbeing is that is feeling valued and how often they don't feel valued by either their employers or the government. And I imagine that this lack of PPE would just is just a bigger part smaller part of that bigger issue, sorry. Yeah, I think that feeling valued is really important and we know from our previous work on um 
you know, mess and rest spaces or availability of food for doctors on call or particularly on night shifts, you know, that that lack of um, feeling that they have the basic requirements to look after themselves physically while they do their job um that has a huge impact on how people feel about working how safe they feel and how um you know how well they feel psychologically and i think as you said abby pp has just become another aspect of that and potentially a really really important one okay let's hear from a clinician who's working on the front line in canada I'm Mary Brindle. I'm a paediatric surgeon at Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary, Canada. Um, We're talking today about personal protective equipment. So I was wondering if we could start off maybe with you talking us through any of the difficulties that you've faced in your hospital with getting hold of the right protective equipment. Right now, I'd say that we're in pretty good shape, or at least um, that's, you know, that's kind of what we've been told and that's how we feel Um, at this current point. Now, I will say that um, there's a lot of concern, and I've got to say for a lot of people, there's a lot of fear about what things are going to look like in the coming uh, days to weeks. Uh, When we look at what's happened in places in, certainly in Europe, as well as in the United States, the need for personal protective equipment, um, I think suddenly becomes overwhelming. So it goes from people feeling quite comfortable to feeling like they just really don't have enough to keep them safe. And how does that make you feel, Mary, as a, as a physician, a surgeon? I, I guess I've got to say concerned. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and, and I've, got, uh, I've got friends. My partner, for example, is working in a, in a COVID unit um, who is you know, dealing with patients who have COVID and seeing them, is going to see them on a regular basis. Um, and what we do right now is is uh, high risk. Some of the activities we do are are not, but when it comes time to, for example, if you're resuscitating a child or if you're putting them on uh, on cardiac bypass um, urgently, that's a very um, kind of chaotic situation. And not if if you don't have the appropriate personal protective equipment, you would definitely feel quite vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what strategies are sort of are you take, putting in place to to help kind of, I guess, prepare for this potential overwhelming need? Well, some of them are being being thoughtful right now about overuse, um, which is hard when you feel this concern about. Uh, I mean, this is a very new disease uh, for all of us, um, even though we know a lot about it. Um, there's a lot that we don't know as well. Uh, so I think there's a real impetus to want to maximally protect yourself at all times. But uh, there are certainly activities where some people are at much, much greater risk. And I think one of our fears is, is if everyone's maximally protecting themselves at the beginning when the risks are low, when those risks are high and when people really need it, uh, we may have run through. So being very smart <laughs> and, and careful... I've got to say that probably the things that we can do best right now are are sort of taking care of the regular things like washing our hands and and that type of thing. Um, I think those are the areas where when when things are more calm that we're going to protect ourselves the most. I think it gets a lot more challenging when when the situation becomes more overwhelming. 
when you're working a lot more, when your resources are a bit more strapped, when you're surrounded by sicker patients, when that basically is the load of virus around you just becomes a lot higher. And then I think your strategy has to change a little bit. Mary, I'm not a clinician and you'll probably be able to tell that from this question. But um, I wondered whether the act of having to don all of this personal protective equipment actually can increase people's stress levels because I imagine it makes things seem a lot more serious and I wonder if the equipment itself can can increase people's stress. You know I think that's a really good point it does a lot of different things it can increase your stress it can certainly increase family stress too when they see someone who's kind of fully donned but it can also give you a feeling of protection and confidence now I think that's a double-edged sword as well I also feel that a lot of people when they contract the virus, a lot of healthcare workers, it's probably through self-contamination rather than actually um, breathing in uh, droplets or aerosols. A lot of it is in this act of either taking on or, or putting off equipment in a way that's not safe. So, I mean, it's, it's funny. I think there's a lot of different elements to the value of, of wearing it and, and also the concerns about wearing it. I think also one of the things is that when you see someone else who's wearing a higher level of personal protective equipment. Say you are in a, um, a regular surgical mask, a thin paper mask, and then you look next to you and you see someone wearing one of these N95 masks and you think, oh, um, maybe I should be doing that too. Um, and so sometimes there is that little bit of this feeling of, of escalation, like the, this feeling like maybe I'm less safe now um, by not having this on me. So. The, I think the culture of PPE is very complex. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mary. And, and that's a really good point. I guess, obviously, as a surgeon, you're really used to doffing and donning equipment. Um, yes. Whereas, you know, as a yeah. primary care physician, you know, pair of gloves, maybe an apron. <laughs> you know, it's it's not something that, <laughs> that I'm familiar with or practice for a long time. And that's it's a really good point. Um, and we know that from the Ebola epidemic, don't we, that, that the actual exchanging PPE properly was was so critical to protect healthcare workers. Oh yeah, absolutely. I wanted to come back to that really good point you raised about how it feels for 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 family members or relatives or patients like as well to to sort of be faced with these clinicians behind these kind of massive barriers. Um how does that affect your kind of relationship with them and what do you do to try and I guess maintain these relationships with patients you know during this time? Well, this, it's a really good point, and of course, I'm a pediatric surgeon, and I think that um, that puts all of this into, I think, quite a different perspective. Children are already a little bit afraid about being in hospital, and everything seems foreign, and the physicians certainly seem foreign. And nurses and physicians and healthcare staff who are wearing a lot of uh, masks and uh, face shields and things like that, I, I feel like that definitely changes the perspective of the child who's sitting there waiting to have something that we're all telling them is relatively routine and relatively safe, it won't feel that safe or routine to them. Parents can reflect differently. I think that most parents who come with their their child, and of course, once again, I'm speaking as a pediatric surgeon, but most of them who come with their child to the hospital are already afraid. They do not want to be in the hospital, not just because of what they or their family is going through, but because they're afraid of contracting COVID Uh, of being around other sick people, I actually feel that a lot of them feel somewhat more secure in seeing a team that is well protected because they feel like they may be less likely 
to pick up a virus if the team is being that cautious about it. So um, I, I've actually been thanked by a number of parents when they see us coming with, you know, the appropriate garb or washing our hands or those types of things that they recognize as being actions that we're taking to protect them. Mary, I was speaking to an anaesthetist who's actually based in the UK today about um, work that he's doing on the intensive care unit. And one of the things he was saying about the protective equipment, which I thought was interesting, was that having your face covered actually means that you can't necessarily um, read cues from your team or communicate them with them in the way that you might have done before. Now, that may not be an issue for you because you're a surgeon, so you work in theatre and maybe that's different. But I wondered if the equipment had in any way affected communication between your team? Yeah, no, it does. Um, and I've got to say where it does particularly are these N95 masks. So it, we're actually very used to communicating wearing masks. Um, we're very used to people's eye gestures and things like that when we're looking over the drapes to communicate with our anesthesiologists. And we're used to being clear in how we talk. But the N95 mask actually adds a lot of additional barrier to that communication. And I've got to say, for, for example, in resuscitative situations where it's really important to hear what the other person is saying, and we've had some experience in that, uh, it's, a, it's a lot harder. You just have to enunciate and speak louder and more frequently. And it, it's that's an adjustment, definitely. I wonder how maybe physically and mentally draining it is in the kind of having to put on all the kit and then having it mark your face when you take it off and kind of all that stuff how that maybe affects people I yeah no I I feel like when you try and get into how healthcare workers feel at this time and all of the different things that have made people feel drained um, exhausted, uh, in pain, afraid, all of those things, but also, you know, committed that wearing these, wearing these masks, the, the, you know, the irritation of it, I think there is part of that as well. It's just that additional physical strain. Um, it's interesting. We've, uh, we've heard from a number of, uh, infectious disease experts who've kind of gone through this um, at other sites, how these these N95 masks that that people are wearing more and more can actually cause like a lot of skin breakdown. They can, you know, they can actually cause people they can actually cause people to touch their face a lot more <laughs> once the masks are off, because they, you know, they they actually get um, a lot of uh, minor injuries or irritations from having had you know basically condensed air on their skin for sometimes hours at a time. The whole experience, I would say, is is quite is quite draining, and I think that 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 kind of physical reminder of what you've been going through, even when you've stepped away or when you sit at home and you can kind of feel that you know that sort of rawness, it's uh, you know it's tough. It's tough. Mary, was there anything specifically that you wanted to raise or discuss about about PPE? Well, you know, I've got to say, what I think what I find is hard, and I think about this a lot because the work that I do is occasionally high risk, but a lot of the time it is lower risk in terms of what I need to protect myself in terms of equipment. So I'll be quite clear on that. I actually feel like most of the time we're going to, healthcare workers are going to get themselves sick because they're they're tired, they're exhausted, they're caring for people, and that when their defenses are down, they do things they shouldn't do. Like they sit down and they rub their eyes because they're tired and stuff like that. But when I think about 
my colleagues in emergency medicine and in anesthesia and in critical care who are going to need high-level PPE on a routine basis, what I really want to make sure is that I am doing my part to protect what they need for those activities. I would feel terrible if my colleagues who are doing this type of thing and putting themselves at high risk on a regular basis don't have what they need. I mean, I'm fortunate in that we're in a situation right now where we are, we are pretty well off, but things change very quickly. And I want to make sure that, uh, that I'm cautious and I'm careful and I do the things that I know I need to do to protect myself on a routine basis, but that perhaps I don't overstretch in what I use and potentially put people at risk down the line. Absolutely. And the campaign that we're just launching or we just launched for the BMJ is is exactly that. It's the the sort of um, the phrase we're using is proper PPE. And that means that the right level of PPE for the right situation and the right level of risk, because it's so important that we have to kind of conserve and and allocate the resources we have really effectively so that everyone is protected uh, according to their need. Um, Yeah, and I think what's hard is that, um, and it's not surprising, there's so much that is being published right now that, you know, that calls into question what we know about, about COVID. And I think some of it is really reasonable. I think some of it is probably less reasonable. But as soon as there is this element of doubt, um, this element of like how much of this aerosol exists around us in situations that we don't understand, it's probably a very minimal risk compared to the things that we uh, we expose ourselves to without knowing it. But as soon as these questions come up um, in this atmosphere, I think people will sort of migrate towards wanting maximal protection at all times. And probably a lot of the times they... They, they've made themselves uh, more vulnerable, I think, um, simply because, first off, they may consume resources that might be needed later, but also they're probably doing things like um, causing a lot of irritation to their face by wearing N95s when they shouldn't be, you know, and, and perhaps even feeling this false sense of security that when they take it off, they may not be adhering to the other practices they should. So, I mean, these are just kind of things that I spend a lot of time thinking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, the importance of those, especially if we, well, as you say, we're not sure what we know, we don't know, but especially if we think that it's mainly droplet, you know, those basic, yeah. basic measures, washing your hands, not touching your face, you know, they, they're going to be extremely protective. Absolutely. I, I, I fully believe that. And I think that is where... It's hard because I think that we tend to tend to feel that the higher tech solutions are the better solutions and that hand washing feels like it's low tech and maybe not, you know, it's not so important because it's so easy. <laughs> but if, if everyone did that properly, we would probably be a lot better off. Absolutely. And we're already hearing how, um, you know, cases of other things that are reducing. So, you know, uh, lots of the kind of um, fecoenterally trans- uh, transmitted infections and things like that. We're seeing less hepatitis A um, oh, yeah. because people are washing their hands properly and protecting themselves uh, in all sorts of ways. So yeah. that's one good thing maybe to have come out of it. It's just this great lesson in the importance of hand washing. Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. Just just going back to Mary's very good point around conserving stocks for the future and only using what you need now. I guess for that, what you also need is really clear guidance on what kind of protection you need for different scenarios. And I think we're lacking that maybe or were lacking that 
in the UK. I don't know what it's been like for you, Mary, in Canada. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the guidelines are pretty clear um, in terms of what we use for what situations. And I think that the communication, but we're, we're also fortunate in that our care, like in the UK, I think, is relatively standardized and centralized so that the messages that um, I'm in Alberta, the messages that people are hearing in Edmonton in the north are exactly the same as what we're hearing in Calgary in the south. So that's good. I think one of the problems, though, and this is, I think, just a human nature issue, is that when people hear that we're conserving, there's sometimes this feeling like you are allowing us to have less than safe or less than optimal care because you're waiting for something worse. And it's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to get over even if we were not in a pandemic situation. These same guidelines would apply to influenza and that type of thing, but it doesn't feel like that. I think that's one of the problems is that for those people who are in the front lines, it doesn't feel like that's the same situation. And certainly, I think a lot of people are thinking about what we do when the resources run out. Um, I mean, and so right now we're in this kind of, you know, being careful and preserving and being thoughtful. If we get to the stage where we are truly strapped, I mean, of course, those things you just have to be more cognizant of. Like right now, healthcare workers... I think have options to choose higher level of personal protective equipment than they perhaps need to allow them to feel safe. There may come a point where that um, ability to choose could perhaps be limited. I don't know, but I mean, I could imagine that could be the case. You know, that would be a hard thing, definitely. There's a lot of talk about uh, reusing, and I know that in the States there's a lot of places where they are keeping the same personal protective equipment and going through processes of either wearing the same thing over the course of uh, many hours, uh, sterilizing, sort of managing these things at home. There there are a lot of, uh, I think, considerations about that. Um, Certainly the evidence would suggest that there's probably a lot of safe practices, but there's also a lot of potential for self-contamination. There are a lot of improper ways of doing this. There are a lot of people who are turning to their own um, PPE stocks, some of which may be great and some of which may be poor. (laughs) Um, People are creating their own. I I see constantly um, colleagues, friends, or people I don't know who have kind of designed their own PPE. You see this on Twitter and you see this in other places. And I mean, that all comes from a place of... uh, you know, wanting to protect themselves, but also a fear that what they they have is not provided by the systems where they work. There, there are probably people who can comment a lot better on what is safe and what isn't safe, but clearly, you know, clearly there's going to be a difference in how people, uh, what people should be choosing to protect themselves after this, once we get to the stage of um, resource depletion. And some places are going through that. I'm really hoping we don't (laughs) here in Calgary. (laughs) I mean, do you have any specific tips for UK doctors on how they can preserve PPE now so there's enough for their colleagues in the future? Are there kind of very simple, practical things that they can be doing? Yeah, and you know what? I've got to say probably the very best thing, and it's the thing that goes out the window after the first week or so, is this careful hand washing. It is like, you know, it is really doing the things that you can do um, at home. So when you're sick, stay home. Be careful if you, if you are around people who are sick. 
and who are coughing, uh, wear the surgical mask, wear the gloves, follow the, the, you know, the current guidelines that are out there. And um, in virtually all circumstances, you'll be very safe. And that's, I think that's, that's what we're seeing. It's hard, of course, for people to um, not feel afraid of what we don't know. You know, there are probably circumstances when, when systems become overwhelmed and, uh, and say people are being treated with alternatives to ventilators where there is a higher rate of uh, aerosols around that people may need to pursue different forms of personal protection. But I've got to say that in the regular day-to-day interactions that we have with patients and certainly with people who um, don't have symptoms, that regular routine um, personal protection and hand hygiene are probably our very best ways of keeping ourselves safe and keeping and our patients safe. And when we say safe. routine protection, is that kind of this, this sort of surgical, standard surgical mask or what is that? Well, the, you know, this is a really good point. So some places, like for example, in Boston, they have now switched um, to what they were doing in Singapore, where every healthcare worker wears a surgical mask at all times, interacting with everyone, recognizing that there is a high proportion of asymptomatic patients who uh, could potentially transmit. And for those uh, situations, um, that certainly surgical mask, probably just hand hygiene, but people are wearing gloves too, which makes sense, um, is sufficient. Saying that, it is probably more to protect yourself from touching your face than anything else, because if people aren't coughing, um, then you're not likely to inhale uh, aerosolized particles and, and, and virus. I'd say that in some places the surgical mask is a standard part, in other places it is not. And probably if people were extra cautious and extra careful, they wouldn't need that. I think the, one of the reasons why this seems to work in places like Boston and Singapore is that people do, they relax their guard. One of the things, when we were in a, uh, we were in a meeting once and someone in the meeting was talking about how everyone was touching their face. And um, what one of the surgeons said is, we are so programmed in the OR that when we're wearing our surgical garb, we can't touch anything. We should just be wearing our surgical garb everywhere and then we'll be extra safe. <laughs> and, and, and in some respects, it is like it's that, um, you know, you, you tend to, to slide back to what you do every day. And so I feel like when people are wearing the gloves and the mask, it is a reminder to them to be careful and to not do the things that they would slide back to and do every day when they're at home. Um, you know, like that we, we do not typically wash our hands routinely at home. We do rub our eyes. We do, you know, sort of put our hands on our faces. It's just human nature. Um, but as soon as you have something that reminds you that we're not in the same world we were in three or four months ago, um, you will do things differently. And that's, uh, I think that's probably the biggest benefit f- to some of these kind of masks and gloves that people are, are using in different places. Thanks, Mary. That's a really interesting point. I'd never thought of it as like a reminder to, to be careful and keep up those practices. I want to ask you um, <clears throat> potentially quite a difficult question to answer. Um, but we are seeing in some areas, we're seeing colleagues um, who who have no access to PPE. Some of that's happening in the community where we're increasingly seeing some some of the coronavirus patients who are not necessarily going to be cared for in hospital. And there are the odd institution in the UK where doctors have, have said 
we are not going to work if we don't have PPE. We're not going to see patients, which I think, you know, morally and ethically as a clinician, it's just an impossible situation to find yourself in. So this is maybe more asking you for to reflect on that rather than a question like, you know, can you um, any thoughts on that? Oh, and, you know, I've got to say it's the kind of thing that I'm sure that if you ask, you know, any physician, they've been thinking about that because we've seen what's happened in sites. I mean, I I was reflecting on what people were doing in Italy when um, when you hear about healthcare workers who've been working for days without PPE contract coronavirus and and then um, and then get sick and die. I mean, that we know that that's happening. There has been a bit of a response to feel that uh, physicians are, um, and healthcare workers, nurses, all of members of the healthcare team are martyrs in this kind of fight. But I think that's a very discouraging way to feel as a healthcare worker because you, you aren't, you know, I mean, it's, it's nice to feel like what you're doing is heroic, but you don't want to feel that it's a, you're a predetermined martyr in fighting this. This feels like this is a solution that is solvable. And I think that's... Um, that's tough. So when someone says they were refused to work without proper PPE, I mean, I, I understand it. I, I do understand it. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm not in a situation where I am being asked to, to go into, into battle without armor, as people have been referring to this as. I haven't been in that situation yet. Could, could, I, could I turn away and say no? And one of the problems that people point to also is that... Um, is that even when you feel like you are doing like the, the brave thing and the right thing and the self-sacrificing thing, you also become the vector. You become that person who um, contracts this and spreads this without proper PPE as well. Now saying that, you know, probably most of the time um, we have sufficient PPE, even in these situations where we feel that it is low um, to protect ourselves. But... Um, when you do get to that point and you don't, yeah, I don't. I actually don't think it's 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 fair to ask people to do this. I feel like there that that the solutions can be found and must be found. Thank you, Mary. I think I think that's absolutely right. I think it, you know the the hope is this is used as leverage to kind of ensure that the systems are providing what's needed and that the focus is really on getting the logistics right to to continue the production and and supply of of PPE and and that's what should be a massive priority. Um, I think everyone's hoping that that would that's going to be the end result, not that people are going to be avoiding working. <laughs> No, and, and, and I've got to say, too, I, I think that probably most people still go to work, even in those situations where the PPE is running out, even when they don't feel safe, because that's, you know, you know that's, that's why we do what we do. <laughs> you know, that's, that's why we took on these jobs. We're used to um, going through hardships uh, to look after patients. That's part of a nurse's job, a doctor's job. So... Um, it's our natural instinct to uh, just kind of put our, our needs second. And uh, I don't think that's right, um, both, both in terms of, of protecting um, the resource, the most important resource that we have, which is our healthcare providers, but also in protecting the patients as well. Without proper PPE, um, the patients are also going to suffer, the, the general population. Uh, 
Abby, I thought that was really interesting what Mary had said. I literally never thought about having gloves and a mask just to remind you that you have to be so careful with the basic practices like washing your hands and not touching your face um, and that things just aren't normal in any healthcare setting at the moment. No, absolutely. And I liked the, you know, the, the story she had about the surgical team saying, well, we've, if we've got our surgical kit on, we'll remember to act in a certain way. I have to be honest, I really wanted to touch my face when we started talking about not touching your face. I can't imagine how difficult it must be for people working in that environment. I also, I really liked her top tips for doctors, although I know hand washing might seem like a very low tech solution. She made, made it really clear how important it was. Um, and her point on conserving and making sure that you only use what you need at the moment to prepare for the future I can see how difficult that would be if you really just want to feel like you want to protect yourself and your family but she made it very clear I thought that it's really important looking long term that we only use now what we need absolutely and I particularly like the way she framed it in terms of thinking um, not just about what you're doing but you know what your colleagues are doing and you know colleagues working in those really high risk areas like um, we know in ENT for example has become a high risk area because all the um, droplet and aerosol generating procedures um, so thinking you know do I really need this PPE what what is enough to keep me protected um, and how can I save those resources so that everybody has what they need according to the situation and really has that proper PPE. that's all we have time for thanks very much to our guest mary brindle check us out on social media we're at bmj underscore latest on twitter or you can join our bmj wellbeing group on facebook we've also got a hashtag for the proper ppe campaign so you can share your stories of where you have got the proper ppe or maybe you haven't quite got what you need so it's very simple the hashtag is just hashtag proper ppe and um, we'd also love to hear from you any ideas that you'd like us to cover in this wellbeing podcast that's all from us this time. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.